Hi, and welcome to the Renew.org Network podcast. This is our third season, and you're listening to Jason Henderson. I'm about to play a breakout session from the 2019 Renew.org National Gathering. This one features Guy Hammond. Guy is a self-described, same-sex-attracted Christian. He has been such a good friend and great part of the Renew.org Network, and he's going to speak on a topic that is relevant and one that the church needs to be speaking about but from a place of love and compassion, also though with conviction and through the lens of the Bible. So here is Guy Hammond speaking about LGBTQ and discipleship today. All right, well, thank you. Hello, everybody. So glad to be here. I feel so honored and privileged to have been invited by Bobby and Jason and the senior leadership of this group who put on this amazing event that you've decided to include me uh, and give us the opportunity to talk about uh, this really controversial subject that we're going to be discussing uh, this afternoon. So it's a real step of faith and courage for you to host particularly me and and what we're talking about. So I appreciate you doing that. Uh, My name is Guy Hammond. I'm an evangelist in Canada. I've led several different churches across Canada over the years. But about 10 years ago, I started a, uh, a side ministry, uh, and I called it Strength and Weakness Ministries. I hadn't been intending it to become very much. I was just thinking to myself that we, most churches did not have a, a practical plan in place in order to be able to reach out to the gay, lesbian, transgender uh, groups in our communities. And we really had no plan in place to be able to help Christians who come from that background, who, but who now as followers of Jesus still live with unwanted same-sex attractions. And I thought, well, we have to do better than this. So I started this ministry. I called it Strength and Weakness. I got a website up and going. And my initial goal was to find 30 people. I thought, if I could find 30 people who are same-sex attracted, who are Christians, that would be amazing. Like, I wonder if there's 30 out there. Of course, found 30 in the first week. And then the ministry just got bigger and bigger. It went past a thousand. Then it went past several thousand. And the ministry just grew to a point where uh, six years ago, my wife and I decided to quit full time ministry. We realized we could not continue to lead a church and take care of this ministry because we were helping so many thousands of people around the world. And so we just started doing this full time. Of course, at the time, there was no funding. We had no money, nothing. We just thought, well, my favorite line is. If it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's bill. I don't know. It'll just work out, right? God will just take care of us. So I've been spending the last six years uh, traveling around the world, speaking in universities, churches, faith-based groups on this issue of homosexuality, transgender issues, sexual identity issues, and how it relates to us in regards to matters of faith and what the Bible teaches on these issues. And um, I'm so glad we're talking about it because... A lot of Christians aren't, and most churches aren't talking about it, which is really unfortunate because the whole world is. We, what ends up happening is we have everyone talking about, the, talking about these issues, except the one group of people who should be talking about it, and that's the church, because if anybody should have a hope-filled, holistic, spirit-filled message that gives hope to a lost and dying world on controversials like this, it should be Jesus' church. So uh, again, that's why I really applaud Bobby and everyone who invited me to come here to be able to talk on these issues. So here's probably a good place for us to be able to uh, start. Let's talk about what the Bible actually teaches on the issue of homosexuality. The Bible only talks about uh, homosexuality in a direct fashion five times, about 30 times in a more roundabout way 
For instance, like the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that kind of thing. But in terms of the Bible addressing homosexuality in a direct fashion, these are the uh, five main scriptures. Again, not a lot to go on, but just so that we can also say that we read the Bible here today, let's do that. Here's one of the five. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10, a scripture that we would all be very familiar with. Uh, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now this, of course, uh, scripture is not about homosexuality. This scripture is about the broken human condition. The truth is we can all find ourselves on that list somewhere. Especially when I, when I teach in, in uh, a lot of times in North America, people are like, really? I don't think I see myself on there, but... You know, we live in North America, so we could probably all fit into the greedy area there somewhere. So, like, we're all on that list, right? This, this scripture, again, is not about homosexuality. It's about who we are as human beings in this broken, fallen world. Um, but, you know, the Bible does clearly say there that homosexuality is not a part of God's plan for human sexuality. It's not how he intended people to live. And uh, so, as I said, even though we only get five scriptures, there's quite a bit we can learn. It's important to recognize that these scriptures come from both the Old and the New Testaments. That these scriptures were written thousands of years apart to highly different cultures. And uh, why is that important? Well, it's important because people will say to me, well, Guy, you know, I live in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and it's 2019. And those scriptures were written thousands of years apart to a completely different culture. The Bible is old and archaic out of touch with my life and my world. And so I just don't trust what the Bible says in regards to sexual ethics. So I don't think that we can trust what the Bible says here on this. But you see, this is the exact same problem the Apostle Paul had when he wrote the passages that he wrote in Romans, 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. Because the passages that go before that in Leviticus were written 1,500 years earlier to a highly different culture. What does this show us? Well, I believe it just shows us that on some things... Doctrinally, some things supersede time and culture. And I believe sexual ethics is one of them. How God felt about sexual ethics 3,500 years ago is how God felt about sexual ethics 2,000 years ago. It's how he feels about sexual ethics in 2019. And if there are any human beings walking around in the world 1,000, 2,000 years from now, it'll still be how God feels about sexual ethics. The scriptures between Leviticus right through to the, through the Old Testament and taking us into the New Testament shows us a consistency of how God felt on this issue. Now, I know that that's not really popular today. So let me just, real, just so that I can erase any questions you might have about what I believe the Bible to teach on sexual ethics. It's simply this. Based on the scriptures that we've just seen on the issue of homosexuality, along with other passages we know that the Bible teaches in regards to sex in general and sexual purity in general, my understanding of scripture is that sexual intimacy is to be reserved between that of a man and a woman bound together only in marriage. And anything outside of that is not representative of what God intended for human sexuality. Now again, I recognize that that's not really popular. And I, I, you know, I wish I had all the answers. You're going to hear me talk for the next 45 minutes or so and we might have some time for Q&A. And the truth is, uh, if we do have time for question and answer... Uh, you know, you're not going to get all your questions answered. I don't have all the answers on this stuff. I really like it when things are really clear and I'm very certain on things. But the truth is, I myself 
have to be willing to live within the tension of uncertainty on the things that we're discussing this afternoon. And I would like to think that probably most of us would, would agree with what I just said was what I would call the traditional biblical sexual ethic. Most of us in this room would agree, maybe not all of us, I don't know any, anybody in this room really except for maybe Bobby and Jason. Um, I, but I would like to say that, you know, if there's anybody in this room, uh, you know, that's been hurt or maligned by anybody who called themselves a Christian, and maybe they've, 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 they've laughed or mocked at somebody that you love because they're gay, I just want you to know how sorry I am that that was your experience. Uh, and I believe that if that happened, that God's heart broke with yours. Now, a lot of people have, have in the name of Jesus, said and done things in the name of uh, Christ on this issue that I don't think Jesus would ever say or do. And so the issues that we're discussing are controversial, they're multifaceted, and we don't have all the answers. And so you may not agree with everything that I'm about to say this afternoon, that is fine. But here's something that I would like to think that we would all agree on. And that is that every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect. Regardless of what they're attracted to, regardless of their response to Jesus, regardless of how they treat us, every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect. I'd like to think that at least at that, we would all end up agreeing. Let me tell you a little bit about myself and uh, kind of what gives me the pulpit to be able to talk about this. I started participating in homosexuality uh, around the tender age of 12. Um, I will tell you as a point of personal history that I was sexually molested by a man when I was eight years old. How much of a role that would have played in me becoming same-sex attracted, I'll never know for certain. It certainly didn't help. But uh, around the age of 12, I recognized that I was going through something that it appeared my friends were not experiencing. I, as my friends were using to go through this thing called puberty, my friends were starting to recognize girls, and all of a sudden I was like, well, I'm not. And I didn't know why. I didn't know what you called it. I didn't know if it had a name. I just knew it was different. And I never chose to be attracted to the same gender. You shouldn't assume that anybody chooses that. Uh, attractions are very automatic and involuntary. And there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, contributing influences that determine what a person is attracted to. I never met anyone who chose what they're attracted to. Just like you did not choose what you're attracted to, I did not choose what I'm attracted to. Now, we are all 100% responsible for what we do with our attractions. That we're responsible for. But the attraction in and of itself is just an attraction. It's neutral in nature. An attraction is neither good nor bad. It's just a thing. It's what you do with the attraction that determines whether it's good or bad. So around the age of 12, I started recognizing this thing. I didn't know what to call it. Um, right around the same time, uh, a young fellow that I was playing hockey with, uh, you know, uh, suggested the idea that we try something sexual. I went for that. And that really just led me down a path of many years of just participating in homosexuality. In fact, that young man, I ended up becoming my boyfriend. And that was a relationship that continued until I was in my mid-20s. Uh, I grew up going to church, and so around the age of 12, 13, 14 years old, I, I certainly knew and believed that homosexuality was wrong morally, didn't know how to get out of this, uh, this mess that I had gotten myself into, and I wanted to be able to speak to somebody to get some perspective, but didn't know where to go. Certainly, we're talking the you know, late 1970s, 1980s, certainly school was not a safe place. I mean, culture was very different back then. You couldn't go to anybody at school and talk about this, not unless you wanted to get beat up every day. I mean, I haven't heard, you know, teachers uh, tell gay, fag, and queer jokes uh, when I was in school. So school was not a safe place to get perspective. Uh, then there was home. I would have loved to have been able to talk to my dad about the fact that I was going through this, uh, this with my friend Carl, his name was. 
But, uh, you know, my dad made it really clear how he felt about homosexuality. And uh, he thought homosexuals were wicked and, you know, repugnant and couldn't stand them. And, you know, every time something came on the news about homosexuality or whatever, you know, my dad would yell and scream at the TV. And so, no, home was not a safe place. And then there was church. And the only message I heard at church was that homosexuals are wicked and evil and going to hell. That was the message. So uh, I did not feel like church was a safe place. So my teen years were very confusing and lonely years for me. And I remember going to bed at night, uh, looking up at the ceiling, uh, crying myself to sleep, uh, unsure of what it was I had done to become the center of everyone's hatred, so desperately wanting to get help but not sure of where to go. Uh, by the time I was uh, in my early 20s, this is me when I was 19 years old, I have a little bit more hair there going on, I recognize, but uh, around that age, I was beginning to give up on the idea of God and church and Bible. I thought, it's not that I didn't believe in God, but I did not think that God believed in me. And so uh, I ended up moving to Toronto, Canada's largest city and a large gay population there, started crossing a lot of dangerous lines and uh, started, started getting involved in having anonymous sexual encounters with, with strangers, parked cars, public bathrooms, parks, that kind of thing. And um, that's why I was living my life for a period of years until I was 24 years old. By the time I was 24, I'd acted out hundreds of times with different men. And I knew my life was in trouble. I thought, God, this is how you're living when you're 24. What's your life going to be like when you're 34 if you even live that long? You know, you need help. But again, where do you go? And of course, in God's perfect timing, uh, he sent somebody who invited me to church. And I was like, oh, church. I know all about church. You know how judgmental those people are. There's no place for me there. But he kept, you know, telling me to come. And I was like, well, you know, I'll give it one shot. And um, decided to go. And I loved it. It was not like the church I grew up in. And the, the teaching was powerful and convicting. And the fellowship was, was, was energetic. And the people were super kind. And I was like, well, okay, this is not like the church I grew up in. Maybe there's some hope here for me. So I started to go. And I, I kept going. And in fact, I went for two years. It took two years for me to get to a place where I felt safe enough to tell people who I really was. Two years of hearing the message. Two years of uh, building relationships with Christians. Uh, when, then I finally was like, okay, you know what? I, I need to start getting open and transparent with my life. And um, so I did, and I thought for sure these people would never let me into the church again because even during that two-year period, I was still acting out uh, and, and uh, acting out with all these different guys, but going to church on Sundays, learning. And uh, finally, I was like, I, I'm, I can't st stand the hypocrisy in my life anymore. I need to choose Jesus or I need to choose homosexuality, but I got to choose one or the other. And I realized I couldn't live knowing that I turned my back on a man who died for me. And so I decided, you know, Jesus was going to be able to meet my needs way better than homosexuality ever could. And uh, studied the Bible for a period of weeks, and I was baptized on August 15th, 1987. And I can tell you, I have not, I have not participated in any kind of homosexual activity since my conversion uh, 33 years ago. So it's amazing what God has done over the years. Uh, one thing that I never thought, I thought when I got married, I thought I'd stay single for the rest of my life. I, did, I just thought that's what would probably happen. I'd never been attracted to a girl before. I didn't know how I would ever have a relationship with, with, a, uh, with a woman. But uh, I met this lovely lady in uh, a Bible discussion group that I belonged to. Every time I went to her house for this Bible discussion group, she would bake me something. And as you could tell, that would really impress me. And so we became tremendous friends. Kathy and I were married back in 1991, married for 28 amazing years. And um, you know, I was never attracted to Kathy. 
the way a heterosexually attracted man would be. I'm still same-sex attracted. It hasn't changed. It hasn't altered. I'm just as attracted to men today as I was when I became a Christian 33 years ago. And, uh, but, of course, I've not acted in that uh, lifestyle for 33 years. But in my relationship with Kathy, you know, she was just my best friend. I loved that woman so much. Uh, and uh, not only that, but God just kept blessing my life, and he gave me a family. And I love showing the picture of my family because that is a miracle. Like, there is no way that a guy who was living the kind of life I was living acting out and having sex hundreds of times with all these men, should get to have this. And I'm so just enormously grateful for how God uh, blessed my life. And um, that's my son, Wyatt, up there in the top left. Wyatt is uh, 24 years old and currently an elementary school teacher in Madrid, Spain. My daughter, Ellie, there in the middle, she's 26. And uh, she currently works for the Canadian government uh, in the Ministry of the Environment. Uh, that's my son, Greg, down there on the bottom in the yellow shirt. Uh, Greg is, uh, works at an auto body shop and the only thing he's interested in, the only thing he's interested in is cars. Uh, and then my daughter, Kristen on the right, the only thing she's interested in is the most important things in life, like uh, jewelry and makeup. So that's my, that's my family. We adopted Greg and Kristen on the bottom there. Actually, we adopted them when we were living in Halifax, Nova Scotia on Canada's East coast. We adopted them, uh, 10, 11 years ago. And, uh, you know, those poor kids have been through more than any child should ever have to go through. But there's been a lot of uh, therapy and doctors and medications, and we had help for the kids too. So it's been a, quite a journey, but uh, very grateful to God for my family and what he's done. This is the ministry I started, Strength and Weakness. I would certainly encourage you to check it out online, strengthinweakness.org. Is the, uh, is the website. Tons of information there. It's all free. My goal is just to serve and help the church, to give you tools, to give you language, to be able to help you be ready, to be able to share your faith with your gay friends and neighbors, to know how to talk about this within the church. Uh, that was, that's what that is for. So I would uh, really please encourage you to uh, go and do that. And as I said, the ministry is just really growing. As I said, my initial goal was to find 30 people to help, but we're now helping people, uh, that's an old slide actually, we're now helping people in over 70 countries around the world. I have a volunteer staff of 12 people helping me run the ministry. And um, you know, it's just uh, amazing the numbers of people who are reaching out and looking for advice and help and guidance. I will tell you um, also uh, something that my family's been through and, and um, during this time, Bobby was so kind enough to stay in touch with me. But uh, two years ago, uh, my wife, Kathy, um, woke up one morning and was unable to open her left eye or move her left arm. So we rushed her to the hospital, fearing that it might be a stroke. And we got her there. And of course, uh, we found out that it was stage four brain cancer. And uh, she had a glioblastoma. They did emergency uh, brain surgery. And um, Kathy uh, was given a year to live. This picture was taken about uh, five months before she died. Uh, Kathy passed away this past, uh, past last August, so she's been gone for about a year now. Uh, you know, I'm just so grateful uh, to have had her as a, as a wife, um, you know, to be with her when she died, to be holding her hand last August 13th, one o'clock in the morning, just to be holding her hand when she passed off into eternity, into the arms of Jesus, was just uh, such a great uh, privilege, a heartbreaking privilege, but... Um, you know, I was just so proud of her. I was like, honey, you did it. You, you always wanted to go and be with the Lord. And sweetheart, you, you, you did it. Like, so I was so proud of her. 
Uh, and she just died with so much faith and courage. And um, anyway, uh, that's recently what we've been going through in our, in our family. Uh, I'll tell you really quickly, about a few weeks before she died, Kathy was insistent that I get married again. And um, so uh, I was like, honey, how am I going to find someone as good as you? And by the way, let's both remember that I'm attracted to men. It was a big enough deal for me to find one wife. How am I going to find two? And, uh, but anyway, uh, Kathy was, you know, so insistent that the next day when I went back to the hospital to be with her, she had made up a list of pre-approved names of women that she thought I should marry. And uh, so we laughed and we joked about it, you know, and I put the list away. She passed in August, and by this past January, I was starting to feel pretty lonely. I thought, if I live the average lifespan of a Canadian male, uh, you know, I can't do this alone. Uh, I, I'm going to need a partner in life, and besides that, I don't know how to fold clothes or make food, uh, and so I just need to be with somebody. And so I got out that list, and I just started at the top. I thought, one of these women is going to want some of this, right? So I'm just going to start at the top. <laughs> one of these women will say yes. And so I just went, very first name on the list, a lovely Christian woman uh, that my, my wife and I had known for many years. Her husband had died two years earlier of, of cancer. And so she was a widow, and I contacted her in January, took her out for dinner. Even before the food arrived, I said, so, her name's Laura. I said, so, Laura, let me just get to the point. I said, <laughs> you know, life is short. Uh, your, your husband is gone. My wife is gone. You're lonely. I'm lonely. Uh, you are your best person when you have someone to serve and take care of. I'm my best person when someone's taking care of me. So <laughs> this looks like a perfect match. And uh, anyway, Laura and I were married five weeks ago. So uh, yeah. So uh, thrilled. Uh, so I know I've had two wives. I, I should have added a picture here of her. I'm sorry. I wasn't planning on telling you that story. I know. It just just came out there. So. Let me talk, let me keep going here. I want to make you aware of a couple of uh, things that I have available for you. I thought, you know, I, I've written several books and I thought I could bring my books here and whatnot, but here's probably an easier way to just be able to help you. This is one of the books I'd like to make available to you for free, free of charge. It's yours. Um, it's, and, and I'll, I'll, if you contact me and I'll tell you how to do that in a second, I'll give you my email address and I'll just send you a digital copy of this book. But here's why I wanted to make it available to this group. Because it's six Bible studies that I wrote to, to go through with anybody who comes from the gay community, who's homosexually attracted, uh, or is a pro-gay proponent. And if you're like, well, I, I, I've, never studied anybody, I've never studied the Bible with anybody from that background, or if I was to study the Bible with somebody who's gay, I'm not even sure how I would deal with that. Well, I did everything I could to come up with all the questions, objections, everything that a gay person would have. Uh, in regards to faith and Jesus and becoming a Christian and giving their life to the Lord. And I put it into these six Bible studies. And um, it won't, of course, answer every question, but I did the best I could to cram it all in there. And it, of course, wouldn't replace the current Bible study protocol that you use in your local church, but you would add this to it. And if you would like a copy of that, I'm gonna, I'll send you a copy uh, if you give me your email address, and I'll tell you how to do that. Um, the other thing is that uh, a few... Uh, Years ago, I was speaking at an event, and afterwards, um, a, a young man came up to me and said, listen, I'm a, I make documentary films, and I'm looking for a new project right now. I'd like to know if we can make a movie about your life. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I don't know who on earth would want to watch that. But, well, sure, let's give it a shot. Anyway, the movie is now completed, and uh, it's, it's currently available for churches to be able to show, you know, you use your church as a theater, and you show it to your congregation. So this, I've never done this before, but... 
Uh, same thing. If you contact me, I will send you a free copy of the movie. And it deals with the issue of sexuality, homosexuality. And really, uh, in the movie, we try to give you all the tools you need to be able to deal with this issue in your church and in your community. And uh, so I'm going to send you the movie, not so that you can show it to your church. Please uh, honor that. Just, it's just coming to you personally. You just watch it. And if you think, you know, this movie would be a blessing to me and my church, then contact us and you can buy a license. I think it's like 150 bucks. It's not a, not a big deal. Again, contact me and I will send you a free copy of the movie for you to watch at your convenience. Sound good? So how do we deal with this uh, issue in regards to discipleship? You know, as I said, I've been same-sex attracted my whole life. It, it has, I haven't been able to change it. And, um, you know, I tell Christians all the time, listen, if you're a, a follower of Christ, uh, I, I think it personally impoverishes people's faith, people's faith to be on the treadmill of trying to go from being uh, homosexually attracted to heterosexually attracted. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be heterosexually attracted to be a Christian. And, and so for the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. For the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. What we're striving to do is honor and glorify God with our lives. And, you know, if I woke up tomorrow morning in Nashville attracted to women, uh, that would be amazing because I've never been attracted to a woman ever in my life. I guess I would take it. Uh, but the truth is, I don't know what difference that would make to my life. Because if I was attracted to women, I'm not allowed to think anything I want, do anything I want. I have to live my life with boundaries and restraint, and I have to strive to live a holy life. So if I'm attracted to men, I'm not allowed to think anything I want, do anything I want. I have to live my life with boundaries and restraint, and I have to try to live a holy life. So if I'm attracted to women, I have to live a holy life. If I'm attracted to men, I have to live a holy life. So what do I care what I'm attracted to? I'm just going to try to, to live a holy life. The truth is, I don't care. I don't think God cares about what we're attracted to. He probably cares to the degree that it causes you and I some stress, but I don't think God cares what we're attracted to. Once he, what he wants us to do is strive to live holy lives. So when it comes to discipleship, this is about self-denial. This is about Guy Hammond has died, right? We die, we crucify ourselves, we become followers of Jesus, and Christ becomes alive in us. And so I've I've done the best I can, not done it perfectly, but I've done it faithfully to continue to crucify Guy Hammond. The old Guy Hammond wants to keep getting up. The old Guy Hammond wants to keep raising from the dead. And I have to, on a daily basis, say, no, that Guy Hammond is gone. Jesus is alive in me. Jesus is my identity. He's the one I've decided to follow. He's the one I've given my life to. And so I will deny this thing that feels very real and normal to me. Deny that because of what my understanding is of the traditional biblical sexual ethic. And follow, and follow Christ. And so that's what I have striven to do for the last... 33 years. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, I would not go back to homosexuality for anything. You could not pay me enough money. I'll tell you why. Homosexuality promises so much, but it delivers so little. It's a huge letdown. I can tell you, after living a gay life for 14 years, having a boyfriend for 10 years, acting out hundreds of times with different men, compared to what I've had in Christ, being married to a woman, God, bearing, being married now to two women, giving myself over to God's plan for my life, not Guy Hammond's plan, but God's plan for my life, I can tell you that Jesus has been able to meet my emotional, relational, and spiritual deficits way better than homosexuality ever could, not even a comparison. This, it means, doesn't mean it hasn't been easy, it's been difficult. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of sleepless nights, I've spent a lot of time on my knees in prayer. It's not easy killing the old Guy Hammond and making sure that he stayed dead. But, you know, uh, I'm telling you, it has been so well worth it. And, you know, I think we can even begin the discipleship plan as we strive to let, share our faith about people right from the very beginning. 
Let me, let me talk a little bit here about evangelism and sharing our faith with gay and lesbian people. Uh, let me start here. How do I feel about the whole issue of dealing with people in our community? Well, I actually support the rights of gay and lesbian people to live however they want. I don't think it's my business to judge that. I think one of the greatest gifts God has given mankind is the ability for you and I to be able to choose how we will live. Of course, the Lord wants us to follow his scriptures and his plan for our life, but God doesn't make any of us robots. He gives us the freedom to choose how we will live. And so I respect that, right? If people want to live a gay life, that's their business. Now, of course, if they come to me and they want to know what the Bible teaches and we're going to have a discussion on, on, on what I understand the scriptures to teach, we're going to talk about Jesus and the Bible and the cross, the context of the conversation now is very different. And, you know, I have no problem pulling out those five scriptures and talking about biblical sexual ethics and talking about self-denial and dying to ourselves for the sake of Jesus. Now, I will also say that this is a tough conversion because talking about living your life with boundaries and restraints and guardrails is hardly the greatest advertisement in the world for Christianity because it leaves us having to talk about the less exciting parts of our faith. And especially to a younger demographic, the idea of denying yourself and dying to yourself to say no to something that feels very real to you for the rest of your life uh, for Jesus and the promise of heaven sometimes doesn't seem like a very uh, exciting thing to be able to do or even plausible but I'm telling you there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians men and women who are same-sex attracted just like I am who are doing the same thing and we're all striving to follow Jesus but I, I support the rights of gay and lesbian people to live however they want the idea that this is a line that we often hear love the sinner hate the sin and when we're talking about the LGBT Q community. I get it. This is a line that we've, we've uh, used many times. Love the sinner, hate the sin. But that's not a line that really works very well, uh, especially when we're dealing with the gay community because the only word they hear is the word hate. But I like what Mark Lowry said. Uh, he's a Christian comedian. And I like how he puts it. He says, how about this? How about love the sinner, hate your own sin? I don't have time to hate your sin. There's too many of you. Hating my sin is a full-time job. How about you hate your sin? I'll hate my sin and we'll just love people. It's probably a better way for us to be able uh, to deal with this issue. Of course, the Apostle Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. And he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? We should judge those inside the church. Uh, what, is, what does this word mean? It means to approve or disapprove. I'm not talking about assessment. We all have brains. We all have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're able to see what's happening in our communities and in our country of the United States and in Canada. We'll be able to assess what's going on and discuss these issues and try to figure out ways to be able to protect our children, share our faith, help the church grow. We can assess. That's different than judgment. The Apostle Paul says we shouldn't be judging those outside of the church. We should judge those inside. So in that spirit and with that heart, I say then I support the rights of gay and lesbian people to live however they want. If they don't care what I think about what the Bible says, uh, then why would I try to force something on them that they never agreed to begin to follow to begin with, right? So again, as you heard in that movie clip, I've had a lot of people protest me. So there's been, I've gone to events where there's protesters, gay uh, rights people show up at the door, they yell, they scream. I've had people, you know, throw things and threaten me. And, but do you know, believe it or not, that the nastiest emails I've ever received, threatening emails I've ever received have come from Christians. Uh, not from the gay rights people. Uh, because they don't agree with how I feel like we should deal with this within our communities and even within, within the context of the church. That's okay. I seem to be in the unenviable place of having everybody mad at me. The gay rights people don't love me. A lot of the Christians don't love me. Hopefully somebody in here does. At least I've got two wives and four kids who love me. That's, I guess, all that really matters. But a lot of times, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the issue 
of homosexuality, we think we only have two choices. And here's where we get into trouble. Option number one, the message is repent or perish. But we're like, well, I don't want to do that one. Repent or perish, no one's going to listen to me if I do that. And I don't want to fight and yell and argue with everybody, so I'm not going to do the repent or perish. But then my only other option is just to capitulate, complete approval. And I don't want to do that either. I don't want to lower what the Bible says on sexual ethics. So because I don't want to do repent or perish, and because I don't want to do complete approval, I guess I just won't share my faith. But there is a third option. It's just one that's difficult, and it takes a lot of time. And I don't know if a lot of times as Christians we have the patience for it. But it's hospitality. You see, hospitality creates room and time and space for people to be able to come and learn and ask questions about sexuality and how it relates to them in matters of faith. Now, notice, I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach biblical truth. I think our, our ministers, our evangelists, those who take our pulpits, they need to teach biblical truth. They need to talk about the fact that homosexuality is sinful, that this is not what God intended for human sexuality, just like they need to teach about heterosexual sin, right? We need to stand up and talk about these things. I'm not suggesting that by saying we need to be hospitable that uh, we're not going to stand up and teach the truth. No, let us acknowledge the difference. Let us, uh, let us teach biblical truth, but let us also give time and space for people to ask questions. We want our churches to be a safe place for people to come in and learn. Like I said when I told you my story, it took me two years, two years of hearing the message, two years of hearing the gospel, two years of building relationships with Christians. I knew that the church was against homosexuality, active homosexuality. I knew that. That wasn't a surprise to me. But I was so overcome and by, the, by the fellowship and the love and the kindness of these people. These were just pe people that I wanted to be around. And they invited me into their homes. I went out, we went out to movies together. We, we were friends. And, and I was like, I want to be a part of this family. Uh, for two years, I wasn't willing to give up homosexuality to do it. But I finally did get to a place where I was like, no. The, these people were able to prove to me with an open Bible how much better Jesus is. And I thought, then okay, then I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to give my life over to Jesus. But it took two years. So it takes time. My question for you is this. In your church, can you be secure enough in your own faith, in your congregation, to have people worship with you who are different than you? Are you? Can you be secure enough in your own faith to say we are a church that is safe for gay and lesbian people and others to come and worship and learn and ask questions? And we're, we're not going to have some kind of weird time frame that if you don't have everything figured out in the first four weeks, then you're out of here. What, what if it takes two years? Are you willing to let Guy Hammond come to your church for two years? I'm not a Christian yet. I'm not a member yet. But I come faithfully. I'm listening. I'm trying to, trying to build relationships with the Christians. Can I, can I do that? Or after a period of time, you're going to be like, yeah, you know, you haven't repented yet. It's been two years and you're still acting out with other guys. I'm not saying we shouldn't bring people to a point of decision. Of course we should. That's what I'm saying. Let's acknowledge difference. Let's teach biblical truth. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is just going to move at a different pace than what we would like him to. And I'm telling you, when it comes to the issue of sexual identity issues, homosexuality, transgender issues, listen, these are complex realities. And sometimes these things are just going to take a bit of time for us to be able to figure out. We're not going to be able to do all this really quickly. There is a difference between acceptance and approval. We need to learn how to accept people even though we don't approve. Every single person in this room in the last 24 hours has said, thought, or done something that Jesus would never approve of. I haven't had a perfect day yet. Neither of you. But you know what? God, Jesus, has accepted every one of you, even though we've all done something that he didn't approve of. 
There's a difference between acceptance and approval. And I'm saying we need to have churches where we can be hospitable with people, have people in our homes, serve people, and love people that are different than us and even living lives that we completely disagree with. But we will accept them anyway. There is a difference between acceptance and approval. When we live like this, what we're saying is we are not going to rush to judgment. We're not going to make assumptions about you. You're a welcome guest here. Even though we disagree. So let us be radical. Let us be radical with the biblical truth. Let us be radical about the truth. Let us be radical when we don't have an answer. Let's be honest about that. Let's be honest when the answer isn't popular. But while we do all that, let us love and serve people. Listen, if a gay couple's coming to your church and they do so for a year or two and they decide they don't want to become Christians because the cost is too high, and it is a high cost, but that's okay, Jesus is worth it. If people decide to do that, then let them leave their church, your church and go, well, you know what, I'll tell you what, I didn't agree with that people at that Nashville church, uh, those, but I'll tell you what, those were the kindest, nicest, loving people I've ever been around. Let them at least be able to leave uh, saying that. Amen? I want to introduce you here to somebody. And uh, the guy there on the left, that gentleman's name is Clyde. The person in the middle is my 24-year-old son, Wyatt, who I told you is an elementary school teacher in Madrid, Spain. This picture was taken just before Wyatt moved to Spain. Um, when my wife was dying, my kids were in different universities in Canada. And of course, news came out that mom is dying, so everybody, you know, postponed school. Everyone's like, I don't care about school, I'm coming home. We lived in a small community a couple hours north of Toronto. And uh, my son Wyatt was taking criminology at the University of Toronto. He said, forget school, I'm coming home, Dad. Great, my daughter from Ottawa comes home. Wyatt moved right in with us. My daughter Ellie got a job at a local drugstore and got a little apartment down the street. By then, uh, my wife Kathy was, we had a hospital bed put into our living room and uh, Kathy was uh, mostly paralyzed now and uh, you know we had a nurse come in for a few hours during the day but at night she needed care and uh, it wasn't uncommon for Wyatt to have to come down and help me uh, you know change his mother's diaper and help um, so we were doing this as a family well Wyatt got a part-time job at a local restaurant because he knew we needed some help financially and uh, Clyde was his boss. So, of course, him and Clyde, they get into a conversation. You know, what are you doing up here? Why aren't you in school? Why did you quit school? Well, my mom is dying. And she only has a few months left, and I'm here to help. Well, Clyde is a gay man. And he's had the same partner for 26 years. And actively involved in the gay community where we live. But Clyde heard that my wife was dying, and... Bless his heart, you know, he wanted to come over and meet Kathy and me, and so he came on over, and my, my son was like, hey, Dad, my boss is here, wants to meet you guys. And so he came in and met, met us, and over a period of time, Clyde became a really good friend. Um, when Kathy was finally put into a hospice facility about 45 minutes away, uh, some Christians in the area realized we would need help with food because we're just all sitting around the bed now, almost constantly, and... Uh, so people were taking nights, you know, where a family would show up and bring a meal for everybody. And Clyde was like, well, I own a restaurant, so I'm in on that. So Clyde started driving meals out to this hospice, hospice facility every Friday night. His meals were the best. And he would feed everybody, right? Kathy's family, my family, everybody who's there. And he did this every week. Well, after Kathy died, he took me out for breakfast one day. So in the course of the conversation, he says to me, 
So, you told me you're a pastor, and I know you do a lot of international travel, but he said, what exactly do you do? And so the line I normally give people is, well, I teach on Christian sexual ethics and family values. He goes, yeah, okay, what do you do though? <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to tell him. So I said, well, Clyde, before I became a Christian, I was a gay man. I had a boyfriend for 10 years, and I uh, was part of the gay community in Toronto, and but then I found Jesus. I left that life behind forever. And uh, I haven't lived that way in over 30 years now. So, of course, Clyde, who's a gay man and has had the same partner for 26 years, you know, his eyes got about this big. He was like, you're kidding me. And so, of course, he has all these questions, right? So he's, he's asking all these questions. I was like, you know, hold on. I said, I said I, there's, this, there's this little movie that was made. I said, why don't you just watch that? And then, you know, let's get together. You can ask me all your questions after you watch the movie. It'll just save us a lot of talking here. So he goes, okay. So he watches the movie. He comes back uh, a, uh, a week later and he says, okay, I saw that movie. He said, I disagree with everything you say in that movie. I mean, there's not a single thing in your movie that I liked. I disagree with everything. Everything you teach, everything you believe. He said, you Christians are crazy. I was like, oh, hey, well, thanks. Thanks for saying that. He goes, but I got to say this. He said, this whole time, like you're going around teaching that homosexuality is a sin and that we can't live that way. And, and you know, and yet... I'm gay. I've, I've got the same partner for 26 years and you've had me in your house. We've gone to movies together. We have breakfast every other week together. I mean, I'm basically have become a part of your family. He said, I can't believe that you would do that. That you would be such a good friend. And the whole time you think I'm living this sinful life. And uh, he said, so I just didn't know there was Christians like you guys. Like I just thought all the Christ all Christians were, you know, a bunch of homophobes and terrible people. And I just never met a Christian like this before. So he said, so I want to help you. I was like, oh, thanks. What do you want to do? He goes, well, he said, maybe I can travel with you and do some speeches. I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, Clyde, that is such a generous offer. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> but the one idea that we did come up with is we got the film crew together who had made the movie Finding Guy, and they live in Texas. They flew up to Canada, and they did a series of interviews with Clyde and I, and um, so this is the first one that's come out. It's actually kind of a promo for the movie, but I thought I would show you this uh, three-minute clip of Clyde and I. And the reason why I'm showing it is because in a minute I'm gonna t I want to share something with you, but it shows you how hospitality works. And I'm even, I'm even you know, kind of building discipleship into our relationship right now, even before he becomes a Christian, uh, and I'll show you how. Uh, here's the clip between uh, Clyde, gay man, same partner, 26 years, uh, and myself. Okay, so we're sitting here with Guy Hammond, the CEO of Strength and Weakness Ministries, an international ministry that helps same-sex attracted Christians lead lives for Jesus, and Clyde, who has lived an active gay lifestyle and has been with his partner now for- 26 his... years. Okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna throw out this statement, okay? okay? Yeah. A Christian and a gay man fundamentally should not be friends. Says who? A gay man and a Christian can't be friends. That's ridiculous. I mean, look like at this. Who, who said, who, yeah. Yeah. Who's going to tell us that we can't be friends? Nobody, because right? I'll throw punch them. You'll throw punch them? Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I probably won't throw punch them. Are we going to be that shallow? Are we going to be, uh, you know, yeah, are we going to be that shallow as a human being that we're going to allow this, uh, whether somebody's gay or not or a Christian or not, to dictate whether we can be friends? That's ridiculous. Well, for me, the friendship outweighs any of the natives. Like I can understand why Christians may have an outlook on 
gay people. I don't want to go see a bunch of out on a gay pride parade. That's not what it's about. So it's no wonder they get upset. It upsets me as a gay male. A lot of Christians assume that everyone who's gay is an activist. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, that they, they want to fight and argue and be on a float in a parade. But the truth is, most gay people are just regular folks. They, they want to... I'm at home. I'm a homemaker. I work. I'm a human being. We are all human beings. Yes, you may not agree with my lifestyle. What really happened that made us bond was that my wife, Kathy, became very ill. And um, Clyde heard about this, and out of the goodness of his heart, this guy started making meals and driving them out to this hospice facility to feed my family and I as we sat around my wife's deathbed. And um, he just so endeared himself to me and my family. Uh, and I would try to remind people that, you know, Christians, that uh, this is what Jesus was known for. Uh, being friends of and getting along with people with whom he disagreed. And so this is living, breathing proof that we can disagree, but still accept each other and be kind to each other. And we can agree friends. to disagree. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to get along. Yeah. So Clyde, you've seen the movie Finding Guy and you're familiar with Guy's teachings and his stance on things. Um, who do you think should watch this movie? Oh, I think Christians, gay, straight, trans, Anybody should watch this movie. It, as a gay male, it was really an eye-opener for me. I learned things. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm not a religious person, but to see my friend have that much faith in his God, to want to live that lifestyle, is very powerful. Um, I'm not there yet. Maybe one day I will be there. Right now, I love my life. 26 years, same partner. Um, but it, it could change. I even cried at the end of this movie. I won't give it away, but uh, it was very powerful at the ending. And if you watch the movie, you'll know what I mean. So um, when I first talked to Clyde and, you know, talked about the Bible and whatnot, uh, I was like, could you ever see yourself becoming a Christian, Clyde? He was like, absolutely not. No, never, would never happen. Nope, nope, nope. Big ticket to Nopeville right there. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> And, uh, you know, time went on. We continued to build on this relationship, hospitality. But also, he knows what I believe. He knows what I believe the Bible to teach. He, there's no apology for that. We teach biblical truth, right? He knows I think it's wrong. He knows I think it's, it's sinful. He can't live that way if he's to be a Christian. Continue with hospitality. The day came for us to do that, uh, do that interview. And before, we went out for breakfast. So we're sitting at breakfast. And I said, Clyde, you're going to become a Christian someday, aren't you? He goes, get this, he goes, well, the truth is, I don't have enough information yet. Uh, and he said, I've been with Todd, his partner, for 26 years. He goes, I've been with Todd now for 26 years. So I can't imagine giving Todd up to become a Christian. But if Todd wasn't in the picture, I don't know, maybe. So I don't know what God's going to do there. But I, I can see things changing. I can see his heart shifting. You know, went from absolutely not, I'll never become a Christian. You, you Christians are all crazy. To now, we're, now there's conditions. I don't know enough yet. I need more information. Oh, that's great. That's called a Bible study. We can take care of that. Uh, and I don't know what's going to happen in his relationship with Todd. You know, Todd's a wonderful man. I'm praying Todd becomes a Christian too. I know Todd. Todd's a great guy. I pray both of them will be able to give their lives to Christ. Uh, so anyway, here's the thing, guys, is that uh, hospitality works, showing kindness 
to people and loving people works. Uh, I'm not suggesting we back off from what the Bible teaches on these issues, but I am saying that we can love people, serve people, teach biblical truth. And I'll close with this. Um, are people born gay? Uh, well, that's a, that's a complicated question I recognize. But here's, here's the thing. The truth is we don't know. Uh, there's, there's no scientific authoritative study yet that shows that people are born gay. We, we have no idea of that. As of 2019, as we, just, we just don't know. But I will tell you, as a same-sex attracted man, it feels like I was born this way. Because uh, it's all I've ever known. Um, but again, for the Christian, I don't know if this matters. Because, uh, oh, let me show you this. New Atlantis, sexuality uh, and gender findings from a biological, psychological, and social sciences. This is a study that was done in 2016 by these esteemed groups. It was a non-religious study, only had to do with science, has nothing to do with religion. Uh, let me save you hours and hours of reading. 143-page report, but they say the understanding of sexual orientation is an innate biologically fixed property of human beings or the idea that people are born that way is not supported by scientific evidence. So are people born this way? Science is not yet to prove that. And if anybody comes to you and says, no guy, I've seen a study that people are born this way, there is a genetic cause, then you need to ask to see the study and it better come from somewhere other than yahoo.com. The study right now doesn't exist. But I'm open to the fact that there is a, a biological component. But for the Christian, I can tell you it doesn't matter because my ability to be able to choose supersedes genetics. Even if they did discover that there's a gay gene. For my life, I don't know why that would matter. Because I chose Jesus, and I can choose how I'm going to live my life. And so my ability to choose supersedes genetics. My ability to be able to choose supersedes society. My ability to, cho uh, to choose overseas and, and supersedes what culture says. I can choose how I will live. So was I born this way? I don't know. But listen, Jesus is my Lord. He's the one I've given my life over to. He's the one I follow. I strive every day to make sure that that is the way I live my life. Again, I don't do it uh, perfectly, but I do it faithfully, and I'm still standing. And when you have people in your churches, listen, don't buy into this garbage that's being passed around right now called pro-gay theology. This idea that it's possible for you to be gay and a Christian. That stuff is garbage. I have a whole workshop based on that. Listen, there's no, I, I can't imagine a way for you to be able to reconcile the idea that you can actively participate in homosexuality and be a follower of Jesus. The idea is repugnant to me. I strongly disagree with it. And trust me, if I could have figured out a way to do that by now, I would have after 33 years, right? I die to myself every single day and do this because I know what the Bible teaches on these issues and Jesus is worth it. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for letting me be here. Let me know if you want the book of the movie. Very honored, Bobby. Thank you very much. Amen. Hi, Guy. That was so inspiring. What a blessing you are. Um, I had a question on gay marriage, really attending gay weddings. Um, and I know as disciples, you know, we have different friends and I haven't been invited to one yet, but I've seen on our, fa our, our Facebook page, it has come up and, and there's all types of responses. So I just wondered, like, what's your view on whether or not a disciple should attend a gay wedding of a friend? Great question. Um, so this is a, a highly personal uh, question that I think maybe be different for all of us. Uh, when I first started addressing this issue, I wrote an article several years ago. It was right after your Supreme Court uh, had passed the law saying that marriage was now allowed from state to state across your country, shore to shore. 
And when that happened, I got all these emails of all these Americans, you know, um, can't, what's happening to my country? I can't believe this is, you know, what's going on here? And, and uh, so I decided to write an article on it and so I, uh, and, um, the whole, on, on gay marriage. So I wrote this article, I sent it out in this newsletter, and then I got all these really angry emails because my response was, I think, uh, imitating the heart of Jesus where he was the friend of sinners would then say to me, you know, in order for me to be able to keep this relationship going, uh, that I would attend a gay wedding because uh, I think that um, sometimes our absence can speak louder than our presence. And so I would attend a gay wedding for the sake of recognizing uh, these are human beings and I'm gonna, uh, I want to keep that relationship going. Not that I'm honoring their marriage, but honoring them as human beings. Anyway, I got a lot of pushback on that. A lot of people were really mad, didn't agree with me. And so I went to my board. I have a board of directors, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Effelgard Smith, who lives here in the Nashville area. He's on my advisory board. Another gentleman by the name of a Dr. Douglas Jacoby and a, a world-renowned sex therapist in California, Dr. Jennifer Conzen. So I contacted them and I said, okay, I think people should go to a gay wedding as a Christian, keep the relationship going, you know, but I'm, a lot of people are mad at me right now. What do you think? It was really interesting because my board didn't even agree. They all had different viewpoints. But the one that was really interesting to me was Dr. Afflegard Smith, who said to me, he said, Guy, it's not, you can't use Jesus as your example of eating friends with sinners as your example as to why you should go to a gay wedding because eating is not a moral event. It's just eating. Everybody eats. But going to a gay wedding, that is a moral event. So you can't equate the two. And I thought, wow, that's a really good point. I hadn't considered that before. Um, so it's, 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 it's controversial. Um, I still personally would go. If I had some neighbors, they were getting married, I would make it clear to them what, my underst- what, what I believe. Uh, I'm not going to try to hoodwink them. I disagree that, that I don't think this is how, uh, you know, uh, people should live, and I disagree with this, but I support your right to do so, and so I would go. But if you know somebody who isn't, uh, who, who's going to go and you disagree with that, then I think we just need to respect that. But uh, personally, I would, especially if it's a family member. Uh, I definitely would. All right, we have a question at the back. Um, but kind of going along with even going to a wedding, I'm really more concerned with um, families like, you know, so many, there's so many uh, homosexual couples that now have adopted children. And now it's not an issue to me. It's like, how do you handle that? Because if they choose to not maintain that lifestyle, what happens to their family? Because now there's children involved. So um, could you speak a little on what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, it's amazing to me how difficult uh, Satan has made it for people to become Christians. Like when I, you know, 33 years ago when I was leaving my gay life to follow Jesus, it was a pretty straight line. Stop living with your boyfriend and stop having sex with all these men. Repent, follow Jesus, and don't do those things anymore. Like it was a pretty straight line. Now, uh, Satan has made it that it's, it's like, how do you unscramble an egg? Like, you know, getting married, having kids, uh, in order for people now to be able to, uh, you know, start following Jesus and becoming a Christian, like, um, do they need to get a divorce? I would think that they do. Uh, and I can't imagine how two men or two women who, who are romantically enmeshed could continue to live under the same roof uh, as followers of Jesus. And, uh, but it's that, you're right, it's, it becomes very complicated and a much more difficult conversion. All the more reason why I think we need to really take our time and be hospitable, give people time and space to figure these really complex realities out. Um, when it comes to things like gay marriage and you know, two gay people raising children, the argument should never be 
that gay people can't love each other in a genuine way. The, that can't be the argument. Of course there's people who are married and gay who've got a, amazing loving relationships. I've seen people in gay relationships have better relationships than some I've seen in the church. Nor should the argument be that gay people can't love their children. Of course they're going to love their children and do the best they can to be amazing parents. I don't think it's the ideal situation, especially when it comes to raising children, because I think God wants her to be a father and a mother, but it would be wrong for us to, we would lose the argument at somehow suggesting they can't be great parents. Um, I do think it's too new of a social experiment for us to understand the true uh, impact this is going to have on our society. In Canada, we've had gay marriage now for, I think it's 13 years. Here in the United States, it's probably five or six years now. I, I think it's too new of a social experiment for, uh, experiment for us to understand how this is going to affect our world. Um, the truth is in Canada, I don't think it affects our world a lot right now, but in, I think in 20 and 30 years, it'll, it'll be more, much more evident. Um, but yes, to me, the whole issue is we want people to become Christians, and Satan has scrambled that egg so much now, it's so much more difficult for people to follow Jesus. There's so much more they've got to work through. How do you unscramble that egg? Thanks, guys. Great. Thank you, amen. Thanks, everybody. I hope you were encouraged and equipped by that talk. It's a conversation that's going to come up more and more and become more relevant and important that the church speak about it. One thing that stuck out to me is that Guy points out, no matter what our lifestyle was or is today, we have the ability to choose what we think and how we behave. That's ours to choose. And we can strive to get that right every single day. You won't get it perfect because that's the state of our being today. But in this life, we need to take a posture of trying to serve our king and get it right as best we can. And as Guy says at the end of his talk, I believe Jesus is worth it. If you want to hear more from Guy, you might check out our one-day regional event in Phoenix, Arizona, coming up on April 28, 2020. He'll be joining us as well as many other speakers from our gathering. You won't want to miss it. Go to renew.org forward slash events for more information. I'm Jason. Thanks for joining us on another Renew.org network podcast.